HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's June 16th, 2017. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Beer Seal. We're recording a very special live show with our friend Steve Hindy of Brooklyn Brewery to discuss beer and food manufacturing and zoning issues in New York City. And Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Good to be here, Jimmy. You know, it's funny, this, this show started, uh, you had written an op-ed piece in Crane's Business New York about this same issue, and uh, I was on a tour with some NYU food study students in Gowanus at looking at food and, and beverage manufacturing facilities, and we were at uh, Emily Elson's place, the 24, uh, 4 and 20 Blackbirds. And, great, uh, great place. And she mentioned you were an advisor, so yeah. then we started cooking up the show along those lines. Yeah, well, uh, I think, uh, you know, Emily with uh, 4 and 20 Blackbirds has faced the same kind of challenge I faced in trying to find space to build a brewery. For her, it's building a bakery uh, for the wonderful pies she makes. Uh, you know, we got established in Williamsburg way back in uh, 1990 when there was a lot of empty space there. And then, of course, that area has developed since. And even though we're in an industrial biz, uh, business zone, uh, it, hotels have popped up all around us. So we had pretty much given up uh, staying in that area, and we're looking for a space outside of our, our home uh, for about five years. 
And then, you know, 2007, when there was the big uh, crash of the economy, suddenly the landlords around us were willing to rent to us. So we were able to expand in 2008. Mayor Bloomberg came and cut the ribbon. Uh, and, but uh, uh, now uh, we're kind of uh, trapped again. Uh, but uh, fortunately, uh, Mayor de Blasio has changed the zoning rules in that industrial business zone. So you can no longer build hotels uh, or any kind of commercial uh, enterprise unless you have an industrial tenant at the base. So we're hoping we're going to be able to go up a few floors because we need a lot more office space now and perhaps uh, build a, a restaurant in in the next couple of years. That's great. And let's introduce the other guests. Everyone, just please say your name and what, what you're doing here. Hi, uh, I'm John Bedard from Kushner Studios. Uh, I'm an architect, and I've worked with a bunch of uh, distilleries and breweries in New York City. And what, what are a couple uh, breweries that you've helped? Uh, I, I'm, I've worked with up. Threes, KCBC, Five Burrows, uh, Grimmels, Evil Twin, um, a few others as well. And you spend a lot of time in the Department of Buildings? I do, unfortunately, sometimes. <laughs> But it, uh, it's worth doing to, to get things done. I've also worked with uh, Kings County Distillery and um, Port Morris Distillery up in the Bronx. And you're you're going to give us a different perspective because the other guys are entrepreneurs and you're actually there working on permits yeah. and getting places I'm, open. I'm figuring out how to, uh, how to get NYC to uh, accept these uh, uses in uh, different buildings where they just you know see the word brewery and they don't even know what it means. And... You know, from giving stories to the examiners and having to describe how to make beer and having to kind of compare it to tea so that they can wrap their head around how it all works and why it's not like a, a dangerous operation like you think it is. See, when you first opened Brooklyn Brewery in, in Williamsburg, you know, what, what was going on then with like the city and, and permits and, you know, were they open to having breweries in the city? Uh, well, not really. I mean, they were kind of baffled when we first uh, went to the building department uh, with the idea. Uh, actually, even getting licensed back in the 80s, uh, the State Liquor Authority had not licensed a brewery in decades. Uh, so it took quite a while just to get the license. And then building the brewery, there were a lot of similar hurdles. But uh, Actually, we had gotten to know the powers that be in Brooklyn by then, and, uh, you know, Marty Markowitz and the borough president and uh, uh, the people uh, at DEP uh, did their best to help us uh, uh, speed the process of uh, building the brewery. So I, I got to say, uh, you know, by 1995, when we built that brewery, uh, they were more receptive to it. And I think they are, too, today, but uh, still... Uh, you know, it's it's a challenge when you're starting from uh, zero. We know that in the last few years, the state with the Governor Cuomo has really streamlined the state level applications and you know farm brewery licenses, and we've had great shows about that. But it still seems that you know municipality wise, every, it, there's different codes and different. Like I know in Southold, uh, in uh, North Fork, Long Island, I know that our friends at Threes we're thinking of opening a brewery, but there's a lot of issues with, like, tasting rooms and parking that gets in the way. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's obviously an issue that comes out in Long Island just because parking is such a big deal there. I, one of the first projects I worked on um, related to this would be Kings County Distillery. And it was an interesting, because that was the first kind of distillery brewery that came to our office, and they were on Meadow Street for a while, kind of just doing their thing, and then they wanted to open up something bigger, and it was a real challenge to find a space, first of all, that would accommodate them, 
and and then they found the building in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, um, and even that process where it's you know city-owned property uh, and you're going through small business services, it was very difficult because they just they couldn't wrap their head around how it distillery functioned and how it was going to be a safe manufacturing area and safe for people to come in and taste you know the the whiskey being made. So, I mean, half more than half the time. People, clients will have the secure the license from the state and be legally allowed to brew their beer or distill their liquor before the city actually lets them occupy a building, which is, I mean, crazy. And that's it's keeps evolving. Yeah. One, one other point, Steve, is you know jobs. You know you're, you're looking at industrial zoning. You, you mentioned that there's like people want to set up warehouses or you know, storage facilities. How is that different from actually having like a a production facility? I think one of the big uh, plagues on the industrial business zones in New York City is uh, these storage businesses. Uh, You know, a storage business basically is a a big warehouse with little uh, rooms where people can store their junk. And... uh, I, I uh, it, you know, maybe they employ three people for a massive building, uh, and it's just such a waste of the potential for industrial space. I think it, uh, it should be disallowed. But the landlords uh, are very much in favor of that because it's a very lucrative business. There's very little overhead. You know, I also think... Uh, you know, uh, I spent quite a few years in the Middle East, and, and I think a lot about uh, what's happening in the world today. And I believe those storage buildings are, are of, of real danger uh, from a terrorism point of view. Because how easy would it be to assemble a dirty bomb or whatever in your private uh, space in a storage building? I don't think there's any kind of security requirement for those buildings, and I think there should be. Interesting. And then just talking about all the different types of jobs that, that, that come about from food and beverage manufacturing, you know, you, you guys were talking about breweries. You know, we have friends like the Honey Bar, which is Enlightenment Wines, like Mead and Cider Facility in Brooklyn. And now our other guests, you guys are talking about opening a sake brewery. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Tell yeah. us a little bit about what you're going through. Yeah, hi there. Um, my name is Dutch Fox. I'm with Shinobu Kato. Um, we are opening... Say hi, Shinobu. Hi, I'm Shinobu Kato. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Uh, we're uh, looking to open uh, Sake Brooklyn, which is going to be one of the first Sake Kuras um, in New York State, in New York City. Um, you know, right now we're very much in the planning phase and we're going around and living the zoning nightmares that y'all have been talking about. You know, we're working with brokers, we're working with, you know, architectural engineers trying to find the perfect place to open our brewery. Um, it's a challenge, it's a real challenge. So what are some of the requirements that, that you need, zoning and beyond, like space-wise and everything? Well, the, the biggest one is that uh, brewing in New York City is considered a heavy manufacturing activity. The way that it's zoned um, is the, the zonage and use group is uh, brewing is put into the same category as paint factories and concrete factories and lead smelters. Um, so as such, it's the dirtiest type of manufacturing. And this is a, a legacy. It's a carryover. I think it's from the 60s. Um, now, they do grant variances, and I don't want to pretend you know, that the the, the city of New York is blind to what a brewery actually is. Um, but we have to be in M-zoned real estate, which is just a, a tiny percentage of 
the geographic space of New York City, um, it's very, very hard to find a suitable place, much less a place that zoned M. And frankly, the, the landlords know when they've got a good spot. So when it's zoned properly and you walk in and say, hey, we're trying to open a brewery, you know in their head they're you know adding 20% to your rent. It, it's like when you get married. When you walk in and say, you know, I'm, I'm using this space for a wedding, like the, the base rate goes up 20% you know, for the wedding markup, you get the brewery markup as well. Uh, just because the, that good space is so challenging to find. I had a friend that did that when they got married. They said, they said they were putting together a beer fest and they got a cheap rate. If they had said wedding, they wouldn't have been able to afford it. So John's not on the set. Our architect here, we, we, this is a lucky show because our friend Jordan Greenberg, who was on last year for the Beer Trademark Show, I guess he represents both you, John, and, and you guys at the, at the Saki Brewery. You're not in your head. Yeah, I, I mean, this it, is your it, this it, is your topic. It's just very interesting to me because, you know, um, the, the 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 way it's equated in zoning a brewery to a, a lead smelter is just like it's so bizarre once you know how an actual brewery works, and it it's one of the you know it's a challenge. Normally, for you know, we have so many restaurants that come to us to do work, and the biggest problem is when people come to do a restaurant. They say, "Hey, I've signed a lease. You know, let's get started." And I, I look at where the building is, and it's in a residential-only district, and it has no CFO for commercial, and you have to say you can't use it. You know, and similarly, people come to me with ideas of where they want to put their brewery. And as you said, it's heavy manufacturing. So it, it technically, when you first read the zoning, it's only allowed an M3, which is like, a, you know, it's M1, M2, and M3. M3 being the rarest of the areas mm-hmm. in the city. Um, but there is, you know, a workaround that allows you to have it in an M1 and M2. Um, you know, it's not only, it's that's like hard for regular people to understand, it's even harder for the Department of Buildings to understand. You know, but we've we've read it and we, we're sure we've gone to city planning and confirmed it. But you know, it never fails when we bring something to them to say, "Hey, we're going to open a brewery here." Their their first thing is, "No, you can't do it." And half the three months is spent proving why you can, why they didn't read their own zoning. It's <laughs> always fun. You know, it would be great if the uh, city council took a whole new look at manufacturing in New York City because. The definition uh, that uh, Dutch was talking about is based on manufacturing in the 19th century. It has nothing to do with the micro-manufacturing that most of us are involved in uh, in the city. And uh, the dangers are far less than a massive industrial project. Uh, But, you know, you got to go by the rules, and the rules are based on uh, the old school definition of manufacturing. Yeah, I mean, as you were saying, the zoning is from 1961, and yes, they updated, but I I don't know when the last time they updated that definition of zoning use groups, and it it just stays there, and they're thinking of the old distillery wars (laughs) in the Navy Yard when that was happening, and that seems like how they still view it. What's that, John? you got to Give us more information. The, the uh, distillery wars. Yeah, it, it's. I'm. I'm. I don't know the time period, unfortunately, but it, it's uh, prior to uh, around when prohibition was happening. Um, that you know, there's all these distilleries, and, and the way it worked, you know, basically, uh, people were always fighting for space and fighting for their own territory. Uh, so there was a time when uh, that was the biggest crime in New York City, where distilleries fighting one another for territory and, and for control of uh, the whiskey being produced. Wow. And I was going to say, to piggyback on what Steve was saying, um, 
you know, really the the zoning, I guess, from a higher level as you're looking at it, um, is to separate, you know, the residential areas and the commercial areas from dirty manufacturing, from, you know, uh, concrete manufacturing, from smelting plants, you know, to, to keep uh, the livable space is livable. In Re- oil refineries. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and heating oil places. Um, but, but you know, the, the notion is to separate residential areas from restaurants and then keep the industrial, the manufacturing, the dirty, the loud, the polluting away. And it makes sense. But there does need to be a common sense look at the fact that, that brewing beer, you know, on a, on a relatively small scale, brewing beer on a, on a small regional scale isn't a dirty business and it's not loud and frankly people want breweries in their areas like you know the the residents of new york city want to be able to go to breweries it's not it's we're not bad neighbors we're great neighbors yeah craft breweries have had a very positive impact on on uh, communities all around new york city Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think anyone who lives near threes or other half or you know any of the craft breweries in new york city is happy to have a good neighbor Mm mm-hmm I mean, Threes went in in 2014, give take. And, uh, I mean, since then, that strip of 4th Avenue, you know, uh, Osaka opened up, uh, you know, Brooklyn Boulders was maybe started already, but then Strong Rope is there. I mean, I, I just feel like it it helped people say, oh, it's okay to be here and open businesses. And now there's very kind of like collaborative and supportive businesses in that area. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is we're off to a great start. Vito, we're going to be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Heritage Foods USA is a farm-to-table online butcher and founding sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Foods got its start when Patrick Martin's first stepped foot onto Frank Reese's Kansas farm in 2001. Back then, Frank was the only farmer in America raising true heritage turkeys with recorded lineages tracing back more than 150 years. Patrick knew instantly he'd found a unique moment, an opportunity to go beyond acknowledging these breeds as being jeopardized and to actually do something to save them. Patrick asked Frank to ramp up production and made a promise to him that if he would raise them, Heritage Foods USA would sell them. That was the moment that Heritage Foods' slogan, Eat Them to Save Them, was born. By creating a market for delicious meats from heritage breeds, we can ensure they'll be around for generations to come. Plus, heritage breeds just taste a whole lot better. Learn more at HeritageFoodsUSA.com and use the code HERITAGERADIO for two free pork chops with your first order, brother. Hi, I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're hosts of Ferment Ferment About It, It, a weekly journey of all things fermented on Heritage Radio Network. Tune in on Mondays at 7 p.m. to hear about all things fermented, from sauerkraut to sourdough and all things between. Support our show and all of Heritage Radio Network's programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. You know, it's our summer member drive. Check it out, heritageradionetwork.org. It's a good time to join and become a member. So our good buddy Steve Hindy's here from Brooklyn Brewery. We're talking about uh, food and beverage manufacturing and zoning. That's kind of a, that's what beer's about. You know, you got to get, you know, permits and open. But we're drinking it. It's a great surprise that came in. I always love the, the beers on draft at Roberta's. And today I've got a, a Brooklyn Brewery Roberta's special uh, 257 lager. And it's pretty great. That's our first beer we're drinking. Yeah, it's a very, very nice beer, and we're happy to have it here at Roberta's. And, you know, I, 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 we're talking about permits and business, but really, I mean, you're one of the great craft beer experts, and you've written some great books. Last time you were on, we had featured your craft beer revolution book. Right. Um, what do you think of this beer? I mean, it's, it's probably the first time you tried it as well. I think it's delightful. 
uh, it's got a nice crisp uh, finish to it and, uh, uh, you know, a, a very nice malt character. Yeah, so big cheers to Roberta's in Brooklyn. This is a great, great beer, and we're happy to have it for lunch on Friday. And it's a special show where, you know, we, we put the show together basically because Steve could attend and... Uh, we're talking, and we've got architect, and guys are going to open up a sake brewery. So, Steve, you know, you um, at one time, you know, you, Evolution, you guys stayed in Brooklyn. I feel like that we're on, whatever, 2008, eight nine. you decided to stay. Um, I feel like that was the, the turning point in New York City uh, brewing, because at the time, you were considering leaving New York or not producing here. And I know other guys, like Single Cut, were looking at places like Rockland County. And, and once you guys stayed and expanded your original brewery, I feel like that was the, the, somehow that opened the doors and a lot more breweries opened. Yeah, but uh, amazingly, the only reason we were able to expand was because of the crash of, of 2007. And uh, real estate went through the floor, and suddenly the landlords in Williamsburg were eager to uh, rent to us. Uh, so that was the reason we were able to stay. And I'm, I know the Saki guys are not wishing that New York goes into another recession so they can find space. But, uh, I mean, the facts are that's what enabled us to uh, expand back then. You know, another big project that we were working on in, in like the last five years, um, you know we brew beer in upstate New York with the Matt Brewery in, in Utica, New York. We have an incredible... Uh, relationship with them going back 30 years. But we're at capacity there, and we're at capacity in Brooklyn. So we were looking to build a very large brewery, actually more like the 19th century uh, breweries, in Staten Island uh, about five years ago. We started working on that project on a site south of the Gothels Bridge, where they were talking about doing a NASCAR track at one point. It's a huge 500-acre uh, site. And we were, we were looking for about 30 acres of, of that property. It was owned by these Texas uh, real estate guys. And uh, we spent uh, north of a million dollars planning that brewery, which would have been a million-barrel brewery. I mean, it would have been a major industrial uh, site in New York City. Uh, probably would have employed, you know, 150 people. And uh, uh, in the end, the Texans sold that site to Matrix, which is a big warehouse company uh, out of New Jersey, I think. And uh, it's just going to be a, a distribution uh, center, mostly for Amazon. Uh, and that killed uh, what I think would have been the biggest industrial project in New York City in probably 50 years. And, and what is it? Why, why wouldn't that have happened, you know, or why is that? Why would have that been important for New York? I mean, it seems like everyone talks about, te, you know, tech zones and the next Silicon Alley happening in Manhattan, but no one talks about this issue. Well, I think, you know, to a large extent, uh, planners uh, in the in the city gave up on industry uh, many many years ago. You know, it's only in the last couple of years that actually industrial employment has gone up in the city. And the reason it's gone up is because of uh, artisanal companies like Brooklyn Brewery, uh, you know, starting up and employing more and more people every year. This would have gone to a different level, this brewery that we were hoping to do in uh, Staten Island. As it is, we're, we're going to be expanding, uh, but it's not going to happen in the city. 
Great. And then you guys, you know, you're also involved in Gowanus. So talk about super local. We had a little epiphany earlier. You live in Gowanus. You're on the board of what, the Gowanus Conservancy? Yeah, I'm on the board of the Gowanus Canal Conservancy, a great organization uh, actually dedicated to expanding parkland in, in the Gowanus uh, uh, Basin. Uh, so, you know, th- th- definitely that canal is going to be cleaned up and there's going to be development on either side. And we want to see a park along the canal uh, for the future of, of that area. And we have a fundraiser on Monday night, if you don't mind my getting a plug in, at Bell House. Uh, so I hope everyone comes down. The ticket price is not that high. We have some music and uh, it'll be a fun night and it's for a, a great cause. So also in, in Gowanus, we know our friends are other halves there, um, 4 and 20 Blackbirds, Bakery, Threes, threes uh, Folk Spear, Strong, Strong Road there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Six points in, uh, in, in Red Hook. Are you guys yeah. fighting for, to, to keep the, any industrial zoning? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's going to be a rezoning there the same way there was in, in North Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, our councilman, Brad Lander, has done a really good job kind of preparing the groundwork for that. There are a lot of significant industrial businesses in Gowanus, and we want to see them stay. And we want to see uh, parts of uh, Gowanus that have not been developed yet to develop for industrial. You know, I hope the sake brewery uh, can come to Gowanus. I'd I'd be delighted to to come to your tasting room. We'd love to. Uh, It's such a great area. um, And you can tell, um, you know, when you're walking around there that, that it's right on the cusp of becoming... You know, a truly great area. It's got the subway access. Um, you know, it's got the re- the, the close-in residential. Um, you know, I love the work that you guys are doing for the Gowanus area because you, you can just tell in, in, you know, five, seven years, it's going to be one of the great places in Brooklyn. Yeah. Let's talk about what you guys are doing because you, you're, you're the image of these new, new startup, artisanal, you know, small batch producers. So what kind of a system are you going to have to make sake? So, uh, sake is brewed uh, using typically a tonnage of rice system. So, it's not like a barrel type of system. So, um, we're looking right now at putting in a 2,000 pound system. So, each batch will run off about 2,000 uh, pounds of rice. Um, it roughly equates roughly to maybe a seven barrel brewery. Um, it doesn't exactly work that way. But, um, you know, you're talking about jobs. Like, we're putting the craft in craft sake. Um, it's it's not automated. We're hiring a lot of people. We're going to have guys shoveling rice. And, you know, part of the things that we're that we're doing is, um, you know, we want to do well by doing well. I mean, we're, we're planning on paying a good wage. We're, we've already budgeted in health insurance for everybody. Um, so it's not, you know, you're talking about these warehouses that come in and employ two people. Um, we're the opposite end of that. We're, we're trying to hire a bunch of people and we're trying to pay them well, you know, and, and being a part of the community, you know, we want, uh, you know, to look after our employees, you know, hopefully in the same way we can kind of grow as a partnership. That's part of the reason why we wanted to be in Brooklyn was to be part of that. Shinobo, just say a few words about, you know, how you make sake. You know, what's your vision? And So, you know, sake is quite common in Japan, as, as you can imagine. And then, you know, every city has their own, you know, local breweries. And the people go there, people enjoy, people gather, something like that. Well, that's not happening in the U.S. It's still like mystical, you know, drink like rice wine. And people don't know, probably like 95% of the Americans have tried a typical hot sake, which to me is more like a cooking level sake that you cannot enjoy. (laughs) So we try to make sake more like a real, as 
in, in back in Japan that I, I used to enjoy. And then that's more like community and then, you know, local and,、uh, you know, handmade and then, you know, have fun. So to, to tell kind of a, a, an old story,、um, You know, in Japan at weddings, when people come together, two opposite families come together, one of the things that's traditional is they get a barrel of sake and the whole family drinks from that sake and it symbolizes coming together.、Um, and also, going back, you know, hundreds of years in the shogun era,、uh, one of the things the shoguns did is, you know, if there were two feudal leaders fighting, the shogun would lock the two leaders in a room and say, You're not coming out until you drink that barrel of sake. And that's how people came together, that's how problems were solved. So, 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 you know, part of the history and the lore of sake that we're trying to bring to Brooklyn、um, is that notion of coming together, you know, bringing everybody together, you know, come to our brewery, enjoy some sake. And, John, you know, you've got a number of breweries as clients, as an architect. You brought some beers. What, what are we tasting right now?、Uh, right now, you're enjoying the、um, KCBC Computer Phone, which is a, a German IPA. So, all the, all the hops are German hops. That's good. What do you think of it, Steve? It's nice.、Yep. They,、um, it's Pilsner malt, I guess, huh? Yes. It's very light. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's great. All these、it's、different beers. Not only hoppy for an IPA, and, you know, because I feel like a lot of the newer IPAs are very, you know, very hop focused, which is great, but it's also great to try different styles. I think it's one of the things I enjoy, like when I first started doing this, like, I drink IPAs. Do you get paid in beer? <laughs> I don't. I was actually just talking about having to add a clause. Did you get your sake barrel I, I at the end? Yeah, exactly. I had to get beer at every meeting with these guys. But I, I used to just drink IPAs. Now I, I love sours and I love a good Pilsner. So it's like, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a great like, experience of like, really learning these different styles and never r e a l i z i n g Go to your house for Christmas. You'll get a case of broken sriracha ale this year, I'm sure. Exactly.、Mm-hmm. I, my wife says our refrigerator looks like a. A very rich college kid's fridge because of all that from beer. <laughs> Let's pop the Sirachias too. That's one of my favorite Brooklyn Brewery beers. And then, John, so at KCBC, case, case and study, you know, were there any particular issues that you can talk about that you had to go through in, get, in getting that brewery open? Because they opened, what, two years ago now? Yeah, I, just, I, about, just about two years ago. I mean, I have to say, you know, for, for their credit, their project was a very nice, straightforward project because they, they took over a one story warehouse building in、uh, Bushwick on Troutman. And, you know, no, Opa. <laughs> not, you know no, no other impediments. Like, we had full control over what was being filed and how things were being done. So we didn't have to deal with, you know,、uh, other people's mess ups and, and other things impeding us.、Uh, and it was probably you know, one of the most successful, straightforward openings and、uh, projects we've had, which is great. I mean, And then the, the, the brewery、well. that everyone talks about is Grimm.、Mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've become cult like. and、yep. So you're also working with them to open、uh, in Brooklyn. I am, yes. And they're going to have a, they have a 30 barrel system going in on、uh, Metropolitan Avenue. Again, a one story building. So it's very, <laughs> very straightforward. And,、uh, you know, it's、uh, like a, I think it's a 9,000 square foot space. But so there are, you know, like I remember a few years ago when Finback opened, they found a space in, in, in Glendale or,、mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these end of the line places like Single Cuts in the、yeah. story about half a mile from the subway. Yeah. Gun Hill and、That's、Bronx. A good they're about、yeah. half a mile from, from the subway. Yeah. I mean, there are still a lot of neighborhoods with, with these type of industrial buildings. Sure. I, I, I mean, you know, there are, I think the, 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 the key is to try to,、um, you know, find a space that 
you can work in, you know, the hard part is when you're trying to um, work in a building that has multiple uses and, and, and trying to fit the brewery in there, you know, it's, a standalone, it's it's a much simpler process. When it's mixed up with a bunch of other things, it gets a little bit more difficult. And it, I mean, it, it's harder to find these spaces that you know are at an affordable price for a brewery to to occupy. I mean, there's a lot of upfront costs that uh, is like I was saying to the guys that um, from from Osaka that you know. It, if you look at the upfront cost for a restaurant, the trouble of opening a restaurant, if you multiply that by 50, then you have a brewery because it's just you're putting a lot of money in before you push up on the ground. The biggest challenge for us was finding uh, a place with, with enough uh, headroom, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. en- enough uh, height for our tanks. You know, we need like uh, a minimum like 35 feet foot ceiling uh, to, uh, to be able to, to move our tanks in. And uh, even as it is, they're kind of crammed in there. I mean, our our brewery feels like a New York City apartment, you know, very high rent and very little space. And to be clear, too, um, you know, when we're, we're in the planning phase, so I've got, you know, insane Excel sheets, you know, doing the math. But I'm, it's no surprise when I tell you um, this, that, you know, the taproom sales for, for a small brewery are, you know, critical, absolutely critical. In fact, it, it's almost impossible to get off the ground without good taproom sales just because, you know, it's such high margin, it's great marketing, um, you know, and, and it's the easiest sale. You can get when somebody's already in your brewery. Now, to be clear, you know, I, I've kind of lamented that there's not enough M space out there. There is M space, but it's just way out there. And it's not in a place where, you know, you're ever going to get any walk-by traffic. It's, you know, a, a huge hike from the subway. Um, it's, you know, in areas that, that you know, you, you want to be careful after dark, things like that. Um, so there is M space out there, but it's just way out but there. But, you, you know, Dutch, I, I don't want to disagree with you here, mm-hmm. but uh, we're here at Roberta's, right, in Bushwick. Our first warehouse was about a block from here. Uh, and in 1987, truck drivers refused to come in here after dark. <laughs> really? So, uh, you know, don't discount uh, the fringe places because it could be tomorrow's happening place like Roberta's. That's true. You told me on the way over, we, we, we met on the subway, and I'm glad you said that because I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> it's a great anecdote. I mean, I, I've never been to Bush. I remember when Roberta's opened. You know, it was like 2008, seven or eight, and I had some friends that were cooking here, and I was like, oh, it's Roberta's Pizza, it's in Bushwick, and it seems so far out, and uh, the whole, the radio network is what's brought me out here, so, you know, cheers to uh, Roberta's, hey. Yeah. All right, Pioneers. we'll take another short break, and we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. One more push for uh, become a member of HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Check us out. There's a summer membership drive going on. A lot of uh, 
incentives to become a member. I'm a member, and I went to a great party the other night at uh, Topaz, a cool bar on uh, the Montrose stop with the L train. You know it? Yeah, I worked on that project. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's like, to me, that's another example of the L train at Montrose was, yeah. was kind of a quiet stop, and it's, like a, it's a nice little bar. Yeah, I just did another place uh, next door called Bar Barra Brava. At 253. So you're doing design for all types of Yeah, I know. I, I do a lot of restaurants and bars and breweries. It's, uh, it's the way to live a life. <laughs> so now we're going to taste some, some sake from these guys. But, Steve, you got a great another story for us, one of your favorite uh, articles about starting a business. Yeah, this is a story I was going to tell to the sake guys here because they're just uh, getting going. Uh, so this story appeared in Inc. Magazine, 1987, written by a guy named Wilson Harrell, who was the publisher at the time. And the title of the article was Entrepreneurial Terrorism. And he told a story uh, about during World War II, he got shot down over German-occupied France. And he was rescued by the French resistance. And he lived on a farm with the resistance for a time, sabotaging the Nazis. So they were blowing up bridges and trains and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the Nazis uh, periodically would come and search the farm, looking for people like him, uh, American saboteurs. And uh, the French would bury him in a uh, field about six inches below the ground. They'd put a little straw up through the earth for him to breathe uh, through. And uh, the Nazis knew that they would do this, so the Nazis would tromp around in, in the field and plunge their bayonets into the ground anywhere it looked like it was disturbed, uh, trying to find people like this guy, Wilson. And he said, that's what it's like when you start your first business. <laughs> so you guys, you guys are in for a great adventure. And, and I'm going to add in every time over the years, and I've had you know what, over 20 years, I had a little bar restaurant in New York. Um, when any everyone comes to me and says they want to open a place, I usually spend about half an hour telling them the reasons they shouldn't. Because if you don't, you, 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 exactly what Steve just said, you have to be able to put up with all that BS if you really want to stick it out. So are you ready for that? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> You're probably ready, more ready than any of the rest of us ever were. Well, the thing is, is that uh, I, I'm I'm blissfully unaware of what I'm unaware of. You know, I'm, ten years from now, I may look back and be like, yeah. "This was the stupidest decision I've ever made." But right now, I'm looking forward to well, it. Well, ho hopefully, in ten years, you'll be an overnight success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we're hoping for. <laughs> Actually, isn't it? They say it takes about twenty years. Twenty years to become an overnight success. It took me fifteen, I think. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully. I want to get you know one more. So we're, we're tasting your sake. All right. Tell us about this. I love your accent, too. You know? It's like BBC, the accents. Steve, I wish you had an like a English accent today or something. You can probably do Sorry. <laughs> so this sake is, you'd call Jumai Ginjo. It's kind of too technical. But it's like all rice, no additive. And then it has more flavors than your typical cooking sake. You know, so it's fermented in very cold temperature, and it takes two months to brew. So it's much more than you know the typical beer brew. What size batch did did you? Right now, I do have a small system in my kitchen. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so how much do you make with each each batch? I normally make probably like twenty to forty bottles of this. Oh, like a five-gallon home yeah, brew. Five, yeah, 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 ah. yeah. It's very nice. Mm -hmm. yeah. So once we get a facility in Gornas, we can brew more. 
<laughs> Good. <laughs> Dutch, how did you guys meet? You know, how, how did you get into the soccer thing? We have known each other for uh, for 13 years. We were uh, we were drinking buddies in business school. Um, so so you know we we had a great time in business school. We kind of um, went our separate ways. Um, you know, I, I went the Wall Street route. He went to Nissan, um, and. Kind of cosmically, we both got sick of our careers right around the same time, and he came to me with what I thought was kind of a crazy idea. But then, you know, I started looking at it and thinking about it, and said, you know, this is actually something great we can build. Um, so, so you know, we've been we've been officially working on it for about six months, but we've kind of been planning it for you know over a year now. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, something new, something different, and and I'm hoping that I can put all my years of experience. Uh, you know, towards growing this business, towards overcoming all these problems that I'm sure I don't, I'm uneven, I'm not even aware of yet. And you know, he was a process engineer at Nissan, so he knows all about the process of making something, of manufacturing. You know, it's funny when when I listen to you guys. Every day, I get many, many emails from real estate brokers. There's a restaurant for sale, a restaurant for sale, a restaurant for sale, and. Uh, how many spaces are really suitable for what you want to do? Because everyone thinks a restaurant, cafe, you know, it's on the corner. But for a manufacturing facility, it's it's different. You know, it, it would be great if um, – I, I grew up uh, I grew up in the South, and uh, small breweries they, – they've passed legislation in, uh, in Georgia. Small breweries um, can go into restaurant space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would love if New York City uh, would take a similar type look of that because, you know, as we're looking, I'm, I'm walking around, I see all these great spaces. That'd be perfect. That'd be perfect. That'd be perfect. None of it zoned properly. Um, really, what we need is a big 5,000 square foot box. And, you know, as Steve was saying, we need the tall ceilings. Um, you know, we need, you know, ingress and egress. We need uh, big water supply. Obviously, there's tons of water involved in sake. Um, but, you know, the, the, the problem is, is uh, it's more the zoning than anything else. There's great, great, great properties out there. There's properties we'd love to have. We just can't get into them. It's just a non-starter. Dutch, you know, you've done this a lot. You're, you're going through red tape. But what are some reforms that, that you think should happen in New York City? Or, or there's, there are no reforms, and we should just trust professionals like you to, to cut through the red tape. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think there just has to be a more practical understanding of how the process is done. I, I mean, I think one of the the biggest issues I we have with dealing with the Department of Buildings and the DEP and, and other city agencies is that they don't understand the process. Um, you know, we just went through this with, with Grimmels getting their approval for, for their brewery. And, you know, I, I as was put to me, I, I made a kerfuffle at the DOB with me, you know, kind of standing my ground and saying I can do it where I want to do it. And towards the, the end, when the, the planning examiner is giving me approval, she stopped and was like, how does, how does a brewery work? How do you brew beer? And, and it was just like my mind was like you're you're exploding because I'm like you're harassing me and, and telling me I'm doing something wrong and I can't do what I want to do but you don't even know how the process works and I, I took out my my tea analogy of saying hey have you made tea before well you know it's just the same way the leaves are the are the um, malts and the grains and then you know the hops is like the cinnamon stick you put in it and the main difference is I put a yeast in my mixture and, and that yeast sugar and makes alcohol. But they don't like the failure to understand how the, even the process works leads to this very like 
black, you know, black and white reading of what the zoning says, and, and not a true, realistic, pragmatic understanding of how it was meant to govern and how it was meant to control. You know, separating residential from manufacturing and and really things that would hurt people from, you know, industrial stuff. And I'd, I'd add to that too. Um, I've reached out to them to get clarifications on a couple issues before. Never going to do. So I, I was going to say. So so all the confusion around brewing beer. At least they know what beer is. When I reached out to them, they were like, "Sock what?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, I, I'm probably not, if we work together, I won't call it sake. But you know, we're going to pass in New York the new rice farm <laughs> sake brewery. Yeah. Law. <laughs> I, I will say. I mean, that, that you it's know, a rice farm. I, I'm sure that's been brought up already, but the. the the farm license is what has you know created all of this rush of breweries here, and uh, I mean the first people that I know that uh, took advantage of it, just from people I worked with, was Kings County, and claiming you know they got to be the first distillery in New York City in I don't know how many years, uh, but they were the first ones to kind of like you know take advantage of that new passing of that law way back when. I mean now it's been six years for them, so uh, you know and. I, I just remember, you know, going to their small space in Meadow and being like, "What are you doing here? And how does this work?" And, and like, being kind of like flabbergasted. And then when they explained it, it, it made sense, and, and it was like a new challenge to try to figure out how do I weave them through this system of arcane rules uh, in you know hundreds and thousands of pages of code that no one's really read, and, and try to open up and, and have have them have a business because that's the most important part. You know, I, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, and what I love about entrepreneurs is that the ideas they come up with, I could never think of. I had two women come to my office. They both made, uh, one made cupcakes, one made other pastries, and they both love booze. And they're like, we want to open a, a bar, a cocktail bar called Butter and Scotch. And I'm like, I, I don't know what you're saying. You want to pair a cupcake with a martini, but let's do it. Let, let's do. Let's figure out where you can do this, and let's get you open. And let's let's figure out how to get through all this, you know, red tape. And and that's what I find the most fun. Uh, just to give a shout out to you, you're John Bedard, Kushner Studios Architects. Yes, working with all these great things. Yeah, and Steve's not on his head. So I was just thinking. Uh, I think New York City might uh, be ashamed if it uh, learned that Georgia is more progressive <laughs> in enabling uh, small uh, breweries to uh, be built in restaurant spaces uh, than New York City. And part of the problem, too, is if you look at the zoning law, I don't think it's truly actually been updated since 1961, but what there are is addendums added sure, to the yeah. end of it that go refer up to some section 500 pages earlier. Uh, you, you mentioned it earlier, Steve, but really just a wholesale rewrite is really necessary. I mean, look how much the world's changed since 1961. You know, the, the, look how much Brooklyn, look how much New York's changed, look how much everything's changed since 1961. It's, it's kind of silly to be using rules written in 1961 in 2017. I, mean, I don't know if that's going to happen. That's, it seems like a big bite. But do, do you want to preserve the manufacturing districts? That's, that's I, I think one we, thing. I, I don't think it's a bad idea to preserve manufacturing districts. I, I think it's, it's a realistic revision or, or review of the uses and, and what that means and you know wh- where they can go. Uh, I, I'm Brooklyn Winery which is a, a place I checked out when we were first working with Kings County Distillery, is an interesting case. They opened up a new place on Franklin Avenue, which is fairly close to where I live, 
and just being the architect nerd that I am, I was very interested in them opening and, and wondering if they were going to have any of their, what they're doing for the wine. And they wanted just to have a single fermenter there. And it was like five barrel fermenter. I mean, there's something tiny. And they had to go through hoops and hoops just to literally place a stainless steel container with grape juice and yeast because the DOB is like you're making your that's all of a sudden that's manufacturing and that's a you know class three material that is highly flammable and you you can't put that in a just a C district I mean it's very yeah. unpractical I mean from a practical point of view I think all we need is a, a, a more nuanced definition of manufacturing that takes into account light manufacturing as opposed to you know smelters and the kind of stuff that Tanners. you guys were talking about that that don't exist anymore yeah. in New York mm-hmm. City. Uh, that's the, the artisanal manufacturing uh, should be part of the definition of manufacturing in New York City because it's a thriving industry employing a lot of people. We have 120 people working for us now, and I know uh, probably there are 35 breweries uh, in the city now, and I'm sure you add them all up, there are more than a thousand people working uh, in in brewing, and that can grow if if it's uh, if if it's possible to get approval for expansion. I mean, and there there's plenty of examples of like the zoning being written around size capacity, whether that's square footage, whether that is amount you produce. So like, I mean, they restrict how big supermarkets can be. So like, if there is that nuance of like, okay, you know, you're considered a micro distillery or microbrewery if you're producing X amount, which will allow you to go into more places, I, I think that's just all the better. Because I, I do, I think it brings jobs and I think it brings back something that, you know, we need and, and has been a real growth area for New York City. And, and since it seems like it's probably going to be too big a bite to get a wholesale rewrite or, or, or um, you know, get legislation passed to change things, it would be better, too, if the enforcement was just more um, nuanced, but, but was, as opposed to reading the letter of the law, was looking at the holistic impact on the neighborhood. Um, you know, it, breweries don't create pollution. They don't create dust. You know, they're not loud. They're not dangerous. Um, it, it would be better if, you know, we're not necessarily going to, to change the definition of manufacturing, but maybe we just looked at the net impact it had on the neighborhoods, inclusive of jobs and, and inclusive of the bad things, too. You know, the, the drunk customers walking home at 2 o'clock in the morning, like that needs to be part of the scale. Um, but but I wish that there was just more of a nuanced understanding. Responsibly, so. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not everybody does. But um, I, I wish there was just a more nuanced understanding of the impact on the neighborhood as opposed to just when I call them up they just read code back to me i mean if you think about it like talking about a wholesale rewrite of zoning so you know uh the building code was written in 968 and the first real revision of it was in 2008 so if you have time to wait maybe they'll rewrite the zoning so i i in the meantime I, i think there has to be i mean there are you know uh nuanced changes that can be made and and should be considered it's just it's unfortunate that a lot of you know people that are are there aren't looking at this from a practical pragmatic standpoint they're looking at it from Steve's, Steve's going to wrap it up We're but done. I, I would not discount the possibility of a, of a redo of, of the manufacturing uh, zoning uh, you know Look at look at what Governor Cuomo has done to streamline the uh, state rules on on brewing, 
And uh, the borough president of Brooklyn recently uh, came out with an initiative calling for a single source at the Economic Development Corporation to deal with breweries. So people are aware of the positive impact we've had, the politicians are, and I think there there is the possibility of changing things for the better. That'd be wonderful. The one thing I want to say, and and big shout out to Governor Cuomo and his crew and our buddy Sam Filler, um, you know, they brought in the best and the brightest, and they... They re- redid all the liquor laws that went back to the end of prohibition. And Steve, I'm, I should nominate you. You should be uh, somehow more involved with planning in the city. You know, I mean, you're you're. I got enough problems. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing, what's happening Monday night at the Bell House? At the Bell House Monday night, the Gowanus Canal Conservancy is having their fundraiser. It's a great organization promoting parks in the Gowanus Basin, and hope to see you all there. And Dutch, you're going to go, and you might find a new space, right? Absolutely. That's what we're going to be there for. And then, John, it's so great to meet you. You know, we have so many friends in common, but so you're the guy. If you want to architect for the stars, architect for the breweries. We got you. It's something I love to do, and, and yes, please. And then, Shinobu, <laughs> I love your sake. Thanks so much for... Uh, Thank you very much. You enjoyed yeah. it. And you can pay John with beer. <laughs> and sake. Or, or, or sake. Yeah. Yeah. Or wine. I, <laughs> I and a big shout-out coming up now will be our ninth annual July Good Beer Month. It started way back in 2009. Just to recognize that New York City is a good beer town, that there's there's pubs and restaurants serving good beer. And we've come so far, and we're still, we're still preaching that message. So uh, check it out, JulyGoodBeerMonth.com. A lot of things going on in New York City. And thanks, everybody. A big shout-out again to Go around one more time. Everyone say your name and your affiliation. Steve Hindy, Brooklyn Brewery. John Bedard, Kushner Studios. Dutch Fox, Sake Brooklyn. And it's Shinobu Kato, Sake Brooklyn, too. And great. In closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to our guests. And for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, intern Hillary Fasson, and our engineer today, Vitor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.